1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for an update on the markets. My guests are Barron's reporter, Nick Jasinski, and Sarah Malik, Chief Investment Officer of Nuveen, the $1.3 trillion U.S. Asset Manager. In addition to overseeing strategy, Sarah manages two portfolios at Nuveen, a five billion fund composed of the 65 top ideas from Nuveen's analysts and the 139 billion craft stock strategy. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Nick. I'm so glad to have you both on Barron's Live.
2: Thanks, Lauren. What Thanks, a Lauren day you pick.
1: <laughs> So I don't have to tell both of you that the markets really stink. The S&P 500 is about to enter a bear market. Might have happened since I, since I began thinking about this. The NASDAQ composite was down another 4% earlier today. The 10-year bond yield is well above 3%, and markets are anticipating another half percentage point hike in interest rates when the Federal Reserve meets this week. And we're wondering whether even that will be enough to tame inflation. So, Sarah, I want to start with your overall market view. Then we'll get to some of your favorite investment themes and some of your favorite stocks and some of the things on Nick's mind today. So, First, I, I can't resist asking you, are things as bad as they look, or are they even worse? What do you think?
0: Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge out there. and Investors, what we've been waiting for is two signs to breathe a sigh of relief. Those two signs were some moderation in inflation, or perhaps demand destruction, which, which would help also end to moderate inflation. The issue is we saw CPI on Friday, and we just didn't get that. Uh, The reason we want to see one of these two things is because then we can move past the peak of Fed hawkishness. So the Fed has been consistently raising interest rates. They're going to continue to do it pretty aggressively. And until we can get past that feeling of when will the Fed be able to take their foot off the gas, markets are going to remain challenged. So let's just start with Friday. What happened there? Uh, CPI came out for May and it gave us no comfort. Uh, We saw hotter data across the board from shelter to wages. Um, to energy, to food, to autos, to airfare. Basically, everything is more expensive than it used to be. The only things that appear to be becoming less expensive are some of the hard goods. We saw that with Walmart and Target earnings that they put out. But a little and bit equities, of moderate- of hard are,
1: goods. Equities are becoming less expensive.
0: <laughs> True equities. There's two things exactly. Equities are becoming less expensive right. every second. But you know, hard goods becoming less expensive just isn't enough to offset uh, these other items that keep going up. So there's no silver lining in our May CPI, you know demand destruction, you know we are starting to see that. The market's down twenty percent. you know that hits people's pocketbooks. Uh, we're seeing mortgage applications start to moderate. Uh, we're hearing about hiring freezes and unfortunately also hearing about layoffs, so cracks in the labor market. But until we can get to this point where we see some at least plateauing of inflation or moderation, it's going to be a challenge. For the equity markets because the Fed will keep aggressively raising interest rates and we'll see that happen
1: this Wednesday
0: when the FOMC meets.
1: So what do you think the chances are that Jay Powell will find his inner Paul Volcker and raise rates by 75 basis points? (laughs) Any chance of that? I, I think there is a chance of it. The
0: view right now is that he does 50 and the question is how does the market react? I actually think the market might view 75 basis points as somewhat of a relief because this will say, hey, the Fed is fighting inflation aggressively. They're not, you know, they're not joking around with this, 75 basis points here. Uh, you know, 50 basis points is, is in expectations. The market wants that. But 75 basis points is not a bad idea because aggressively fighting inflation up front is what they need to do. And then they can watch the data. And if we see enough demand destruction later in the year, they could actually start to slow or even eliminate rate hikes after, after a few sessions of raising them.
1: I have to say, that's been my take, too, that the market might actually rejoice that that the Fed is deadly serious about curbing inflation. But we'll have to wait till Wednesday and see what happens. Tell me, what's your assessment of the U.S. economy? Many people think we're headed for a recession. Some think we're headed for a very deep recession. What What do you think when you look at things out there?
0: We think what's most likely is a mild recession. So uh, we're not looking for a deep recession. I think a mild recession likely happens because of the signs of the consumer slowing down and manufacturing data slowing down and these aggressive rate hikes. But you know the reason we're mild instead of hard recession is because the Fed's going to be watching the same data that we do and and once some of this stuff starts to roll over, and Lena, you know, let's not it's not all doom and gloom in the sense that we are seeing some rollover in good spending. Um, once it starts to roll over a little bit more and inflation starts to moderate a bit i think the fed will then kind of allow the economy to keep running let's talk about one key in the economy that people you know maybe aren't focusing on today but second quarter earnings are coming up and if you look at earnings growth for this year you know they're still expected to be in the double digits uh, the 20 percent decline that we've seen in the markets has been basically all valuation based earnings growth is holding up for example uh, consensus 2023 earnings is about 251 for the S&P 500, $251. If you gave that an average PE ratio for the markets over history, that gets you to an S&P 500 of about about 4,000. So all is not lost with earnings growth. Now, someone listening to this might say, well, can we really believe earnings growth? I mean, maybe the next leg leg down is a decline in earnings growth. I think you look at some of these companies though, with pricing power, and ability to preserve margins. And there should be some sort of mid to high single-digit earnings growth going forward. And that's a support for the economy and why we see a mild recession rather than a deep recession.
1: That's that's the first encouraging news I've heard today. So it's, tell me, what is your S&P target for year-end?
0: You know, our target, um, it, you know, it's a challenge. We actually think the markets could bounce off the bottom from here. If it plays out We're later in the year, in the silver lining, which is inflation finally starts to moderate because the Fed is very aggressive with raising interest rates up front. Um, some of the cracks that we're seeing, unfortunately, with the consumer, um, with the markets, people start to spend a little bit less. They become more sensitive to pricing. That uh, later in the year could actually be fairly optimistic for the markets. Um, you know, we still think the S and P could go up to the you know high four thousands range. Um, you know, about 20% upside or so from here, um, if we can get to that scenario where we feel comfortable that we hit a mild recession, and the Fed starts to slow down in terms of rate hikes.
1: That would be something to see quite 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 a good thing to see. So I want to bring Nick into the conversation. Nick, you've been doing some research into how stocks perform after they hit a bear market. What are you finding?
2: Uh, Sure. So the level to watch on the S&P 500, that bear market um, is 38.37, And we're a good deal below that right now, down 3% today. Um, There's just one stock in the S&P 500 that's up today, and that's Coca-Cola. So unless something dramatic happens in the afternoon, we're closing in a bear market today, um, which we define as a 20% drop from a recent peak. Um, So the data that I've been looking at goes back to 1950. Um, The bad news is that the average bear market peak to trough decline has been almost 36% for the index. Um, And that's been about a dozen bear markets since then. So if if history is any guide, there's more downside from here. Um, The good news is that the slightly longer term S&P 500 returns after falling into a bear market are actually quite positive. The data show that over the following month, the index has been up 83% of the time by an average of about 4%. And then over the next year after falling into a bear market, the S&P 500 has been positive 75% of the time since 1950. And it's climbed about 17% on average in that time. Um, So there are are all kinds of reasons why you could say this time is different, but that's what history shows. Um, Essentially, that, that mean reversion is a pretty powerful force.
1: So if you look at long term stock charts, it certainly bears that out. But they're very painful when you're in bear markets.
2: Absolutely.
1: Sarah mentioned earnings, and it's something we watch a lot at Barron's. We are pretty much done through first quarter earnings season, but we are going to hear from Kroger, the grocery chain, on Thursday. Nick, tell us how Kroger stock has been doing this year and what the consensus estimate is for earnings.
2: Uh, Kroger stock has certainly been a defensive pick this year. It's up about 11% year to date, or I should say that's what it was through Friday. That was before today's drop um, versus the S&P 500, which we know is down about 20%. Um, it's a massive grocery chain. Um, I think with, as with a lot of, uh, earnings this past earnings season, the focus will be on profit margins. Um, as everyone knows, there's inflation out there. Costs are going up. Kroger so far has been able to pass those along. Um, and investors will want to see that continuing, not just in the reported quarter, but also in any guidance that that management gives or updates, um, revenues are certain to be up. Um, analysts are forecasting on average about 7% growth from the same quarter a year ago. um, that's for the February, March, April quarter, by the way, which is the fiscal first quarter for Kroger. Um, so like I said, the focus will be on profit margins um, in the this, that 7% revenue growth. EBITDA is forecast to be up less than 5% and net income about 3%. So some contraction is expected, and that's due to rising costs of fuel, labor, the products they sell. Um, as we talked about on this program, the, that hit targets margins very hard last month. <laughs> Kroger is less discretionary, it's groceries, so they should have some more pricing power, but investors want to see that in the numbers, and especially with the stock up a lot relative to the market, the bar is pretty high. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, so I was looking at the options pricing, which is implied volatility of about 7% the day after the uh, earnings announcement. So that's in either direction. So there could be some exciting moves later this week Mm -hmm. for Kroger.
1: Be an interesting one to watch for sure. So what is your take on overall first quarter earnings and the outlook ahead?
2: Um, first quarter altogether, results were good. Um, S&P 500 revenues were up 14% year over year. Earnings per share about 11.5%. So there was some margin contraction. Um, but that's those are double-digit growth. That's good numbers no matter what. Um, how you slice it, unsurprisingly, energy stocks were the best. Um Problem sectors were financials, which I know you've talked about on this call a lot as well, the loan loss reserves, some other issues that big banks in particular were having, um, and then some of the consumer discretionary companies, particularly the, the e-commerce part of that sector. Um, in general, investors have been more interested in punishing companies that miss rather than rewarding those that, that beat estimates. Um, so this is, just to cite my sources, these are stats from Jonathan Golub over at Credit Suisse. Um, in the first quarter, S&P 500 stocks that beat earnings and sales estimates beat the market by 1.7% on average the next day, while those that missed both of those lagged by almost 5%. So it's been asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yes, about the second quarter, um, I think there will be more of the same, even more of a focus on profit margins in this inflationary environment. Um, and And lots of interest and commentary for management teams on the demand that companies are seeing from their customers, whether that's consumers or, or business to business or industrials. Um, are there signs of a recession or a meaningful slowdown? Can, can, can companies continue to pass along their costs? Um, and now just in terms of numbers, what analysts are expecting, um, right now for second quarter, uh, EPS consensus is up 5% year over year. So that's compared to 12% in the first quarter. Um, And then that's that estimate has declined by about a point and a half since the end of March. Um, So nothing dramatic, but it is a slowdown already in the numbers. And those estimates have been declining slightly.
1: On the upside surprise is probably going to get a great reaction.
2: We'll see. (laughs) depends (laughs) on investors' mood.
1: We will see. Interesting statistics. So, Sarah, I want to move on to how you position a portfolio. Before we get into that, I'll remind listeners that we're going to take questions at the end of the call. So please type them in for us and we'll set aside some time. So as an active money manager, you have to stay invested no matter what the Fed does, no matter what the market does. So I'm curious where you see the best opportunities today for investors in both stocks and fixed income.
0: Sure, Lauren. And you know, two uh, themes I would talk about in this is first of all, be careful about trying to solve yesterday's problem today. And I would caution people to try to be too cute when it comes to market timing. And you know, Nick made a good point. You look at this defensive sector, consumer staples. These are the, the cereal companies, the food companies, Kroger, grocers. You know, they have been performing very well year to date because they tend to be defensive. You know, to us, these stocks look expensive. Um, you know, in, in tomorrow's market, I think that it's tough to come in and buy a stock that's outperformed by so much year to date. Um, everyone's been hiding in the in these kinds of stocks. So, so where do we go from here with a market down 20? You know, I think there are some some good values across the board. Our number one sector coming into this year was actually energy. What uh, the reason we like energy? We like it for three key reasons. One is supply of of oil is very limited. Demand has been increasing with the reopening. And then most importantly, in a cyclical sector, producers are being disciplined. So they're returning cash to shareholders. They're focusing on moderate growth. That's keeping the cycle tight and a very strong cycle for energy stocks. We could see this being a multi-year cycle over time. Uh, secondarily, it's actually a very unpopular sector, unpopular today uh, for sure, is growth stocks. Now think about growth stocks here. These are the companies that are less leveraged to economic growth. So we, we are aware that economic growth is declining. And if we hit a recession, the companies that should continue to grow quite well and have pricing power are some of these growth stocks in areas such as software. And also, you can look at mega cap, but as Nick mentioned, you need to be careful about staying away from companies that have a lot of competition or don't have resilient business models. Another area that we like in equities is looking at the retailer. A lot of carnage in this area, I think, you know, because of Walmart and what happened with Target. But when the consumer gets a little bit more nervous and weaker, they tend to trade down. So companies like TJX and Costco are of interest. Costco has a resilient business model because of their subscription model. They can raise prices in that. Uh, They turn over inventory very quickly. They've gained more control over their supply chain, which is crucial for companies right now. So we like Costco. And then off-price retailers like TJX are interesting because people will likely trade down and want to spend less on the stuff that they're buying. Uh, Switching over to fixed income, it's been a huge headwind for fixed income year to date in a higher rate environment. The traditional 60-40 equity fixed income portfolio has not worked well at all this year. Usually that is a nice source of diversification. So what do we do in fixed income? We are seeing some very nice total return characteristics in areas if you want to take a little bit more risk, such as high yield. For example, high yield municipal bonds. The fundamentals of those areas remain very strong because the state's are very strong, and that's the backing for these municipal bonds. And then within fixed income, we also like companies in the credit sector. These are companies with strong balance sheets, strong free cash flow. You can find yields above the mid single digits, total return in the high single digits in some of these areas now.
1: That sounds inviting. Tell me um, if we go back to energy, are there particular stocks that you like there? Sure. So we're switching over, looking at some of these refiners
0: like Valero. Um, you know they benefit from more barrel growth in energy. This is a disciplined company focused on capital structure. Um, it, they sometimes they tend to lag some of the larger energy companies, so it's it's a later in the cycle play. Um, they're returning a lot of cash to shareholders. We talked about that. They're returning up to half of their cash flow from operations to shareholders. Um, and they have a very nice tailwind because of their structural uh, product slate. So that's a company that we like. We think the management's very strong. And you know, responsible investing in ESG is an important part of the energy sector. And we like the companies that are providing the bridge to a, to a better climate. They have Valero has a focus on renewable diesel, and that program they're investing heavily in. So these companies, you know, not only are they uh, benefiting from of prices and what's going on in the energy sector, but they're going to take us to the next generation of more
1: climate-friendly technologies. Mm-hmm. It's a long journey, but good point. What about growth stocks? There are so many to choose from, former growth stocks perhaps, but what do you like in that category?
0: There are a lot of growth stocks and they're all a lot cheaper than they were just months ago. And, and this is where we're, we're looking at some of these flagship companies that are trading at such lower levels than they used to be. So first software Salesforce is, is a terrific company. Uh, it's focusing on digital, its backlog it looks strong, um, you know, very broad applications and making and they've made they made good investments during the downturn, which is a good time to do it. So the reason why Salesforce is crucial is because Nick talked a bit about margins, which are at peak levels. The companies that are going to grow their earnings, because margins are at peak levels, they need to rely on revenue growth. How are they going to get that? Number one is can you raise prices to grow your sales? And number two is a company that can help you grow your revenues, and that's Salesforce. The front office software that Salesforce provides is crucial to clients that need to grow the revenue growth. Their market is growing double digits. Uh, Guidance has been strong. Uh, They've made an acquisition that they're integrating pretty well, and they're not going to have any more M&A going forward. That's kind of a comfort for investors. We want them focusing on their core business. The Salesforce is a company we like. And then more, I'd say, controversial is, is Amazon. You know, this is a company that, it's a huge mega cap company. It has lagged the market since well before growth in general rolled over because people were worried about Amazon post-pandemic. Uh, Amazon, to me, is, is not a stock, a company that people will turn away from just because life goes back to normal. But they made heavy investments in their logistics. They control over half of their supply chain now. I would actually say they overinvested in it, and that's why you saw them miss the first quarter. But as Amazon, it's a... It's a um, of short-term pain for long-term gain. They've made the right decisions for the long-term. That's why I think
1: the stock is attractive here. And the stock is much lower than it had been.
2: Sarah, what do you think of, of U.S. banks? Depends on if we're hitting a recession or not, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, had, you, know, you look at banking stocks, they should perform well in a higher interest rate environment. And we're definitely in that kind of environment right now. The issue with them, though, is uh, some of the other areas. So those that have you know more of brokerage businesses are are feeling the effects of what's going on in the equity market. And while interest rates are going up, you know, if you're in that camp, which we are a little bit more in, where eventually we have these aggressive upfront interest rate hikes, but eventually the Fed starts to pause in terms of rate hikes, perhaps later this year, because we are starting to see some of these recessionary numbers start to come in, into manufacturing the consumer then I don't think this is positive for banks. So we're, we're more neutral on banks because of that. We don't have this sort of you know, long elongated interest rate hiking cycle that would normally be good for banks.
1: So what do you think the odds are that the Fed will have to pull back later this year?
0: I think it really depends on what we talked about at the start of this call, which is uh, will we see signs of demand destruction? The Fed can only pull back if we start to see so much demand destruction from either the consumer or manufacturing data, confidence data. We are seeing a lot of that already. Uh, Cracks in the labor market. Labor market's been very strong. We've not seen a lot of cracks in it, but initial signs that that's weakening already. Uh, Signs of the housing market weakening are already showing up because of higher interest rates. Uh, All of that should lead to lower inflation over time. Inflation likely can't stay at the level that it is if people are more cautious and not willing to spend um, on goods and services. And that is what gives the Fed the green light to slow down in their rate hikes. Now, I'll say that I don't think that's coming. Unfortunately, it's not coming anytime soon. I think we're going to go through two to three meetings of pretty aggressive rate hikes for the market. Um, and the markets need to price that in. And that's what we're seeing uh, today and likely we'll continue to see for a bit.
2: I agree. I think that there's, there's one number that matters for the Fed right now, and that's the monthly PCE uh, inflation rate. And right now, that's way above the Pace that's, that's in line with a 2% annual inflation target. And until that's making decent progress towards that and, and approaching that number, um, the Fed's going to be biased towards hiking.
1: That's the personal consumption expenditures for, yes. for those who don't know their acronyms. <laughs> and there are probably <laughs> a lot out there. So, Nick, you're our resident small cap expert at Barron's. And that is not a happy place to be these days. The Russell 2000, which is the benchmark small cap index. It's down about 5% today, and it's building on a lot of losses for the year. Do you expect small caps to stay in a bear market? And do you see any bargains in all this
2: rubble? Um, well, arguably, I would say that the whole asset class is a bargain right now. Um, actually, this, just this like morning, uh, Bank of America had a, had a report focusing on, on small cap valuations. And from that standpoint, small caps are just undeniably cheap. The, the Russell 2000 Index um, the forward price to earnings or price to earnings expected over the coming year, um, it's just above 12 times right now, which according to B of A is the lowest forward PE since February of 2009 during the global financial crisis. Um, so that's just relative to its history. It's cheap. Also relative to large caps, um, the Russell 1000 right now forward PE is 17.4 times, which is 12% above its historical average. So that, that relative how, how, uh, how cheap uh, small caps are relative to large, is the, according to B of A again, it's the the cheapest, it's been in over 20 years since the tech bubble. Um, That was a lot of numbers, um, but but just simply put, small cap valuations seem to be pricing in worst case scenarios, recession, all of the bad news much more than large caps are these days, which makes some intuitive sense. Smaller companies tend to be more domestically focused, so it's perhaps a cleaner play on the US economy. But the other side of the coin is that small caps tend to rebound earlier and harder than, than large caps once that recession fear has passed either become, because it's become fully priced in or because economic fundamentals improve. Um, and we saw the same thing in 2020. The Russell 2000 bounced way more than the Russell 1000 in that initial rebound off the, uh, off the bottom that April and May of 2020. Um, so yeah, you mentioned 5% decline today. The, the caveat is that small caps tend to be much more volatile than large caps. And we're going to have plenty more days like today. Um, but I would bet on small caps as an asset class beating large caps from here. Um, On a sector level, I would stick to some of the same sectors that we have been discussing on this call, the inflation beneficiaries, cyclicals like energy. Um, There are some small cap growth companies, which um, I would argue you want to focus a little more on those that generate free cash flow and have profits these days. But especially some of last year's IPOs are trading for like two times the value of the cash on their balance sheets. Um, So there are definitely some some uh, some value hunting opportunities in there. I'll just mention a few uh, recent Barron's picks. One is Wesco International. WCC is the ticker there. Al Root picked it. Um, that's an industrial that's benefiting from, I would say, basically el- electrification of everything. They just announced a big buyback program. Um, Jacob Sunshine picked Progeny. PGNY is the ticker. Um, that's in the healthcare space. It, it helps corporations provide um, fertility treatments for its employees. And then one more I'll mention this is one that I recently wrote about. It's called Jenko Shipping. Um, they're a U.S.-based dry bulk shipping company um there are super high shipping rates right now they just implemented a very interesting dividend formula that's tied to cash from operations and the stock right now uh, today's decline yields about 16 percent in dividends annually um, wow so, <laughs> that should uh,
1: wake people up right
2: yes that's a juicy yield
1: Yes, yeah, for sure well thanks thanks for that we tend we tend to lump small caps often in with the broader market but sometimes it pays to take a look at the asset class through its own microscope. So another question from me, Sarah, and then we'll go to some listener questions. I wonder if you have any advice for retirees or near retirees in this market. We've been writing a lot about that. It's getting a lot of attention. What do you think? What should people be doing?
0: I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about being careful of, of overly timing the markets because we learned during the pandemic mm-hmm. too that a lot of people, you know, exited the market at the wrong time and spent a lot of time trying to get back into it. At a time like this, I would say look at your portfolio rebalance. And as Nick says, then you will rebalance likely into asset classes that are more attractive on a valuation basis. Take a look at your portfolio and make sure you have high conviction in what you own. So you want to own companies, uh, strategies that are resilient in this kind of environment. Our expectation is a mild recession, but make sure that what you own could make it through a hard recession because you want to make sure you can come out on the other side of this. And I think rebalancing really helps and and legging into attractive asset classes because it's very difficult to time the bottom in any of these asset classes. So slowly, you know, averaging into some of these areas, I think it will end up paying off over the
1: long term. Makes sense. So a couple of questions from listeners. Mark asks, how would you recommend allocating assets on the brink of a recession? You, you mentioned that the 60-40 portfolio has really not lived up to its um billing this year. So how would you recommend allocating assets at this point?
0: Well, for example, at Naveen, we're a multi-asset class firm, and about you know, 85% of our business is public equity and fixed income. But other than that, we're in alternative. So there are other areas that we can look at, ranging from real assets that are more leveraged to inflation, to private credit, um, private equity, other areas where you can find more resilient um companies that have less volatility and and some nice returns and yields on them so we're also looking outside of traditional asset classes for areas of safety and yeah i would be careful that the issue with being on a brink of recession which is about where we are today is as nick mentioned a lot of the companies that are resilient during a recession have already significantly outperformed and that's why i mentioned be careful of solving yesterday's problems today i'd be more careful about going into these areas that have already had very strong performance I'm more interested in finding those high-quality companies and strategies in areas of the market where I believe in the fundamentals, but now the stocks and the prices across these asset classes are are at a significant discount to where they are in the past.
1: So I want to go back to energy because when I looked this morning, the XLE, which is the energy ETF, was up 61% year-to-date, and yet many people are still bullish on energy. Why is that? Is that because the indexes come from so far behind over recent years?
0: I mean it's the fundamentals of the sector. The the tight supply, it's it's very difficult. Even when you see these announcements of governments or areas in the world adding supply to energy, it really doesn't make a dent to really um supply meeting demand. So you have this, you know, energy was beaten down for probably a decade, oil prices were, were in a pretty low trading range. And I think we can get into a multi-year cycle here. Um, because of the tight supply, strong demand. And the fact that the producers are behaving differently this time, it's still fairly under-owned by money managers around the world. So that's interesting too. Exactly. It's up 60% year to date, but people aren't really believing that this is a real cycle yet. Some believe it's it's mostly because of the Russia-Ukraine war. We would disagree and say this could be a very tight cycle going forward. It's under-owned. This is an area where even though it's been a strong sector year to date, and last year it was um, very had very significant outperformance, and we came into this year saying we still think it's the best sector for this year. I think it's it's a multi year play here on energy because of the dynamics of the fundamentals of, of what's going on within the industry.
1: And in 2020, you couldn't give the stocks away <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Funny thing about that. So, Amir, oh, go ahead, Nick.
2: I think that this uh, the producers being more disciplined that, that Sarah mentioned that, that's a big deal as well. That, that uh, in comparison to some other cycles. Um where oil prices were high than then producers would spend on new acreage, new drilling new wells. Um, now there's much more discipline and they're returning that cash to shareholders in the form of buybacks, higher dividends. Um, so shareholders are actually seeing the cash in the near term, and that's definitely a positive for the sector. That's different from other cycles where where the oil price popped.
1: Show me the money. indeed, good time to ask for that. So Amira had a question about the technical setup of the market. The S&P 500 has breached 3,800 on the downside. That was considered a technical support level. Where is the next support level from a technical perspective? I know, but what do you think about the technicals?
0: I think the next support level is around 3,600. And I think the s and is in a trading range of about 3,600 to 4,200 until we can get a break one way or another on inflation. You know, if it breaks, that to the downside in the sense that we can see that we have hit a peak. Then I think we're 4,200 and up to and off to the races. Unfortunately, if inflation stays at this eight-plus percent level and shows no signs of relief, then I think you're probably actually breaking to the downside and going to lower earnings that reflect more of a recessionary environment and market multiples that reflect that too. Um, that's your downside scenario. And you know, unfortunately, for the next few months, we probably don't get an answer, and that's why you stay in this 3,600 to 4,200 trading range.
1: That's a sort of a helpful concept to think of it that way. So we have another question about how TIAA, your parent company, feels about apartment mortgage investments. Is overbuilding a problem? Not sure you can answer that, but I'm going to throw it out there.
0: I would say um, it's a good question. And, you know, how supply has remained very tight across the board? We have seen some cracks in moderation, though, in mortgage applications. And in higher rate environments, that that is what you begin to see. Um, so tight supply, but cracks in demand in the housing market, you know, lead to us to think that, you know, likely the cycle is, is at a peak level or, you know, starting to roll over. We're more selective in that area because, again, you have to deal with, you know, the slowing in demand and higher interest rates, which are a headwind for the housing market.
1: Okay. Well, you did answer it. I'm glad about that. So I'm going to close by asking each of you, what do you worry about most in today's investment environment? Nick, I'm going to put you on the spot and have you go first.
2: I think the biggest risk is that the inflation pressures that we're seeing are, are more dug in than um, than the Fed believes they are. And that, that requires the Fed to raise rates faster and over a longer time period that pushes the U.S. economy into a more severe recession.
1: And Sarah, what um, I agree with Nick.
0: Yeah, I agree with Nick. And I say, you know, sort of secondarily, you know, we haven't seen this kind of regime in decades. Uh, you know, even beyond a recession, what about, for example, stagflation, where you have this, you know, uh, moderate, slow economic growth and it's, uh, significantly higher inflation for a long period of time? You know, uh, most of us in our careers have not seen that. It's been decades since we've been in that kind of regime. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to be learn- A lot of people are going to have to learn how to manage their portfolios in that kind of uh, new environment.
1: Well, we will keep talking about that on Barron's Live because how to manage your portfolio is is the critical issue here. I want to thank you both for joining me today. Great call. Really appreciate your comments.
2: Thanks, Lauren. Thanks,
1: Sarah. Thank you. So Thanks, tomorrow, time, a pleasure to have you on. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the subject is beyond the crypto winter. Everything seems to be in winter these days, even though it's 88 in my town. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are deeply depressed. Darren Fonda, our crypto and finance editor, will speak with Mark Palmer, fintech analyst at the brokerage firm BTIG. They'll be talking about digital assets and stocks that would benefit from a recovery in crypto. So, tune in for that one should be interesting. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We appreciate your time and your questions. Stay well everyone and have a good day.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.